Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. On today's show, we have Mary Beth Gotti, LC. She was the manager of the GE Lighting Institute in Cleveland, and I believe the hosts of this show attended that training not so long ago, maybe 15 or 16 or 17 years ago. She was responsible for overall operation and curriculum development for this training and education center that hosted over 4,000 visitors a year. She chaired the prestigious GE Edison Awards lighting design competition and conducted weekly Mondays at noon lighting webinars for customers. She worked in the GE lighting business for almost 40 years. That's correct, 40 years, holding a number of positions in lamp technology and marketing, including lamp development engineer, research physicist, senior product and application specialist, and manager of lighting education. Holding a BS and MS degrees in physics and an MBA from John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, she is lighting certified by the NCQLP, served on the IES Board of Directors for five years, and was awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award from the National Lighting Bureau in 2018. Currently, independent lighting consultant and serves on the Board of Directors of the National Lighting Bureau, <clears throat> where she manages the NLB Tesla Awards, Lighting Design Program, and the Art and Science of Lighting Product Awards, both earning her the John Bachner Presidential Award in 2020. We've been trying to get Mary Beth for a long time, and Randy's been saying how great it would be to be on the show. So we're going to talk to her in one second. But before we do, Greg, we got to get a little gangster here. we got to go down to satco.com. That's satco.com. Light thing, right thing, Greg? That's right, satco. For track lighting, they've got everything you need, every shape, color, design, size, and technology flavor out there. Put light where you need it with your track light, satco track lighting. You know what? We've been selling tons of track lighting since we did that track lighting module in the LS Evolve um, training program, which is why you got to go to NAILD.org, man. Track lighting has endless possibilities, and Satco's got all the connectors, man. It's got all the stuff, tons of fixtures, lamp-based fixtures still, which I love. They also have the purpose-built LED fixtures. They got everything, and the dimmers to go with it. So, folks, you got to go to satco.com, proud partners of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Let's get joined up, signed up. Come on, folks. If you're a lighting distributor, this is your association. Join today. But for right now, Mary Beth, welcome to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Well, thank you so much. A pleasure being here. Mary Beth, before we, you know, what I want, I looked at your background. I know a little bit about it, but. You're, you have a degree, a physics degree, and an MBA. Why did you choose lighting? <laughs> that is really a, a great question. Now, so now you have to go back to when I graduated from John Carroll University. So here I'm this greenhorn physicist, just got my master's degree. And uh, so I live in Cleveland, Ohio. So what's the iconic company headquarters that was in Cleveland? And it was, it was General Electric and their lighting division. So I naively sent a, a note, a letter to Neela Park, basically to whom it may can be concerned and said, hey, I just got my degree. You want to hire me? You know, talk about naive, but it worked. And, you know, optics was always a lot of fun and lighting has just been such a great choice. But, you know, so maybe not a very sophisticated entry, but it, it turned out great for me. What was your first job at GE? Well, considering I didn't really have any job experience or not much to speak of, they put me into an operation called piloting. And it was a uh, kind of a, a mini manufacturing setup. So is that they tried out new designs, primarily incandescent. 
uh, they could kind of, you know, troubleshoot it and develop it in a smaller scale manufacturing type of facility. And uh, at the time, the HUT project was something called electrostatic coating. So you're going to take light bulbs and make them soft white. And you didn't want to use all that crazy acid stuff that you did for inside frost. So, you know, great project of uh, puffing powder in the light bulb. So it, it was really a lot of fun. Nice. And then how long, kind of give us a transition. I know where you ended up with, but what else were you doing with GEB Freak? You know, I was in, yeah, I was in piloting for about a year. Again, great introduction into uh, how uh, lamps are made and all the diversity of different lighting products and processes. Then I went into uh, incandescent design. So actually designing lamps, uh, par lamps primarily. So that was, uh, that was interesting. So par 38s and, and par 30s and some of the larger, uh, larger sizes, par 46s, par 56s and so on. I did that for um, a, a couple years. And then I, uh, I went to uh, Twinsburg, Ohio. And at that point, that was the headquarters for a division of lighting called HINQ, High Intensity and Quartz. And I was going to be a lamp development engineer for metal halide lamps. So uh, again, great, uh, great opportunity to learn a very complex, um, very technical light source, which gave us all, all the challenges we could ever want. So I, I did that for about, uh, about five years. And then I went to the research lab. Uh, Dr. Gil Ryling, who holds the patent for, uh, for multi-vapor lamps, if, if you will, metal halide products. And um, I had the opportunity to work with him on special projects uh, while I was at the research lab, like uh, lighting for Rockefeller Center, uh, lighting for the Statue of Liberty. Um, so, you know, Gil always had his hands into some very interesting sideline projects, if, if you were. So again, that was a really, a, again, a great opportunity and a ton of fun. And I, I still speak with uh, Dr. Ryling till, till this day. He still lives in, in this area. And from there, I went to the Lighting Institute. So, you know, becoming a lighting specialist, learning more about lighting applications. And uh, I ended my career at the Lighting Institute. Couldn't have a, a better job, for sure. Do you, so in a way, you look at the giant that was GE, like it was a beast in lighting at the time. Like lighting was a huge part of its of mm -hmm. its manufacturing, and mm -hmm. you know how you had the legendary Jack Welsh running Walsh or Welsh running the company, and there, it was a dynamic place. Do you look at it with a sense of maybe some nostalgia or sentimentality or longing for another time when there was some greatness around that and there was some forward momentum and and innovation that just seemed to slowly decline and then got kind of bulldozed by the LED lighting boom? Yeah, you know, I never back up. I mean, it was always a lot of fun working for a lighting business that made every conceivable light source that you could need. I know when I was in piloting, we made like 24 deep sea lamps <laughs> because somebody <laughs> needed them for that operation, you know, but, you know, it's a different time. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, the, the lighting business uh, of, of GE always had their pedal, pedal to the metal when it came to innovation. But, you know, LEDs were an inevitable source. I mean, it just it was a business changer. And clearly we were investing in all kinds of technologies. Gosh, I can remember you know, things like electrodeless lamps. Remember those? When mm -hmm, you, were, sure. you could, you know, like they started with the sulfur lamps. We had a, a product called multi-locks. And, you know, I mean, all through the, 
the, you know, the compact fluorescence and all the linear fluorescent evolution. So, you know, I, I GE had their, they invested in research, you know, and just LEDs just, you know, became a, a bigger, more global force, maybe than ever we could have predicted. Mm-hmm. Or maybe we predicted, but didn't think it would happen that fast. Well, it was accelerated by a lot of free money swashing around, right? And so the 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 adoption of the technology, this is my opinion, the adoption of the technology outpaced the innovation or the readiness of it. And so there was a lot of, um, you know, mistakes made and um, business mistakes and also product, product mistakes. But what I want to ask you is um, there's a lot of talk in the industry right now about not at the industry level, but people who talk about our industry um, that are saying that light fixtures are not sustainable and that we've we've increased the um, lifetime of the light source, but we've significantly shortened the life cycle of the light fixture. And so there's a lot of talk about that. In the past, how did GE, Philips, and Sylvania and these other companies decide to make products that were interchangeable with one another? And that, you know, you manufacturers could, you know, a four-foot T12 cool white was, the, you know, basically built to the same specs by everybody. And so that you could, you know, manufacturers of fixtures could have interchangeable lamps and ballasts. And how, why do you think we abandoned that as an industry? You know, I don't know if I'm qualified. I could certainly give you my opinion <laughs> sure. to, to answer sure. answer those questions. But, you know, I think a lot of these uh, choices and decisions and processes are, are driven by the technology. So, you know, where were all the initial developments? I mean, it was in making light sources, you know, more efficient, more compact, better color. And then you have organizations. I mean, you know, you have, you have ANSI, you've got NEMA. I mean, there's a lot of great um, a lot of synergy uh, involved with trying to standardize so that someone who is building the optics and building the housings and ballasts, you know, could could actually use your light sources. So again, there was a lot of business, uh, you know, business uh, advantages to that type of standardization. Um, you know, LEDs are just a different animal, you know, now because of their compactness and the fact that you can integrate them so efficiently and elegantly into, into, into luminaire designs. It's just really, it's a game changer, you know, it trying to make something that looks like a traditional lamp and shoving LEDs in has advantages for many luminaires today, especially more decorative types and, uh, you know, existing, uh, existing um, downlights and, and two by fours and two and two by twos, but you know you can really gain so much more efficiency and elegance, you know, uh, when you start integrating them right into the luminaire. So again, I think again it's the technology of the light source that's driving, uh, driving some of these trends. I think I think you, as you were answering that question, something occurred to me. It's in the past there were fixture manufacturers and lamp manufacturers, and they were separate. Mm-hmm. And the fixture mm-hmm. manufacturers needed the lamp manufacturers for their light sources and the ballast manufacturers mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. their ballast. And so mm-hmm. these people put together fixtures and bought from these other companies. And now mm-hmm. the manufacturer of the light fixture is incorporating the light source and, and you know, maybe buying those things. But the, the, mm-hmm. the, they don't require, they're not relying on other companies making light sources to make their light mm-hmm. fixtures. Game changer. Yeah. Yeah, that was the game changer right there, I think, Mary Beth. And you kind of you, you hit on it, but you didn't actually say it. And I think that's that's fundamentally what's different in 2021 than 2005. That, um, sure. you know, it's, that's, that's a major difference. Um, in your career, do you, when you see, you saw these transitions. 
So 40 years. So you saw the transition to metal halide. You saw a transition from incandescent to CFL. What was different in your mind about the LED transition from those other ones that caused so much creative destruction? What was fundamentally different, do you think? I think LEDs just combined the benefits of all the other existing light source families into one package. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, you, they got rid of a lot of the negatives. I mean, I spent a chunk of my career on uh, metal halide design, which nobody really cares about anymore. But, you know, <laughs> metal halide could be could be a great solution. But think of all of the negatives, you know, enclosed fixtures versus open fixtures, color shift, uh, can't do hot restrike. So it makes them not they're not really compatible with controls, um, change in color with dimming if you could dim. So you just think of all of these, all of the negatives and then LEDs come along. Oh, wow. Let's see. There's, I, I they come on right away. Um, they're small. There's no heat in the beam. There's no UV there. You know, it's, it, uh, I can create color quality. Initial color quality might've been a bit subject to question, but, you know, clearly, you know, the opportunity for the best color, color variability, controllability, you know, low heat compactness. So it just took all of the benefits of existing technologies and gave you the potential for it in one light source family. Do you recall uh, when it hit you or what item you saw where you were like, uh-oh, LEDs are, or maybe not uh-oh, but good LEDs are here now and they're going to take over. I, I, I'm just going to chime in on my end. I remember seeing an exit sign retrofit was like the first thing I ever saw, the little LED screw in for an incandescent. That was one of the first ones. Yeah. But I'm talking like more practical where it's like, oh man, no, now it's going to take over. You recall what it was? Yeah, you know, you know you're right. I mean, signage was such a match made in heaven. I mean, so, you know, you just think about, you know, the, the geometry of it and heat and, you know, energy savings and long life. Um, you know, probably, you know, start looking at the the first A-line retrofits, you know, looking at some, some of the early ones were a bit clunky, but, you know, start looking yep. at the shape that look a lot like we're familiar with and say, oh, wow. And it, you, we all went through the CFL retrofit. I mean, we're all striving for energy efficiency and, and longer life, but we never really loved CFLs. I mean, they, the warm up time, the color, they weren't quite what we wanted, right? But now LEDs could give you so much more, uh, so many more benefits that, you know, that really, you know, it's like, wow, it, it comes right on right away. The color's good. Okay, this is, they're expensive. Remember they started out, you know, what were they? Probably 15 bucks or more, right? But the Depending, prices certainly yeah. came down in a hurry. Yeah. Mm hmm Good. Well, let's, uh, let's dive in. Or go ahead. Mike. You go. I got, I'm going to switch gears. So you dive into whatever you want. There, Saka, I'm switching in one. gears too here. This is, um, check this out here. Do you see that? <laughs> oh my goodness. What is the date on that? There's my, 2006. Yeah. There's my certificate oh. from the GE fundamentals of CNI lighting. February 22nd to 24th, 2006. That was our most popular class, and that was so much fun because you had people, well, some were more experienced than others, depending on, uh, you know, what their previous roles were. But uh, uh, we had so much fun with those, and we, we became friends with many of the attendees. So uh, great. Congratulations all these years later. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to just chime in. And that, that's when I first started lighting, and I can't tell you how important that was to me to, to do a class like that because 
when I started lighting, you know, the people at my company knew a little bit, but they weren't like real deep into it. And so I had to learn a lot on the fly and I had to learn from taking catalogs home and reading them and, you know, internet a little bit, but mostly it was like the print catalogs. Uh, I'd actually read them before bed at night, Mike. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's how into it I was, like <laughs> trying to figure out what everything was so that the next day I could go sell it. But when I went and did that class, that's when it really hit me, you know, what mm. lighting was all about. And I, I learned the most I learned in those, in those two, two, three days. And your signature's right on there, actually, Mary Beth. So thank you for that. And there you go. You, you must have been good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I made it. Tell us about the Institute. When did that start and how did you get involved and what, what did you do there exactly? Um, when did I start with the Institute or... When did the Institute start and then when did you start? Yeah. You know, that's gosh, now you're now I got to dig back. I, I used to have all this history right on the tip of my uh, tip of my tongue here. But, you know, lighting classes were held at the Institute. Gosh, for I'm, tr I'm trying to think, you know, even in the very early days of Neela Park. So, you know, going back even to the, you know, uh, you know, 1920s, 1930s, maybe. But there wouldn't have been the Institute building, if you will. So, um Gosh, all of my all of my uh, coworkers are, are going to be like, when did when did when did the lighting institute open? I don't re I don't remember the date. Oh my god, <laughs> I don't remember. I, I don't remember. Yeah. But um, you know, clearly, you know, for you know, let's say you know, nineteen thirty ish. So long time, long time. Yeah. Um, it was you know, of course, a lot of renovations um, uh, over the years. Last major one was right before I joined the Institute in 1989, where they, you know, basically gutted the building and came up with, uh, you know, different demonstration types of spaces, right? You know what was special? I went, also went there in 2005, buddy. And I didn't no, dig didn't. up my, I didn't dig oh, up my. Oh, but you didn't get a certificate, so. I did. I didn't bring he it didn't, to the, the podcast. I got he one. Didn't, he didn't graduate. He didn't graduate. Maybe not. I, you know what? I drop out of everything. I'm not good with school. But, you know, I'll tell you, there was something special about that place. There was something magical about Neela Park. It was old. It, it felt like a, like you were going to a university, like an old university, you know. And, it did and, have that feel. Yeah. yeah it, had, it had a feeling of, of going somewhere. And then Thomas Edison worked there or something. Like, I can't remember all the magical things. that, But there was a history there. You could feel it in the bones of the place that this is where people come to learn about lighting. And, and then you would go to one classroom and they would move you. I thought it was so wonderful that you didn't sit in the same classroom all day. They'd move you to another classroom and then another classroom and then a beautiful lunch. And, you know, you would do all this stuff. And it was really um, an elegant, well-planned educational experience, which I found in my career in lighting second to none. And um, I've been to a lot of lighting right education, but you know what? The, you know what? The most thing was like the 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 wall around that. I remember was like old rock or stone or something. There's like that, or the the building was made of old material. And when you walked in the front door, it was beautiful lobby, and there was these old light sources on display with weird little patent things below them. I don't. I'm I'm remembering it correctly. Do I have my memory yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there was like Absolutely. a hundred year old light bulb over here. And you just felt like you were coming there to learn about lighting and it was just magical. So, I don't know who designed it or if you did, but it was absolutely a wonderful experience. Um, did the Institute, was it also responsible to manage the legacy of GE in the lighting business? Was there something to that as well? You know, we've always, we've always had members of the Institute team 
who loved the history and wanted to preserve it. So, uh, you know, I, it wasn't just the Institute, but I felt that we in particular, because we had such a connection with the outside world and, out, and, our, and our customers and partners, that we had the chance to tell it. We had a chance to tell the story. Matter of fact, someone who just recently retired, his name is David Corot, and he um, really took it to heart. He loved the history. And I think he could, he, he could come up with not just the date of when the Institute opened, he could probably give you the hour in the minute. I mean, it was, but it was, it was such a joy to him. And, uh, oh, you know, we even opened up a small museum at Neela Park so we could really capture and preserve some of, uh, some more of the history for people who weren't necessarily coming to the Institute, but, you know, wanted to take a look at uh, an architectural gem, but really a very historic part of, of General Electric and certainly of the lighting industry. Neela Park is a legitimate American cultural heritage site. Legitimate. That's that's true. Mm-hmm. You know, just like Henry true. Ford's factory, the original one, I can't yeah. remember the name by the river there. The, these are places that Americans that seek to understand the culture should go to to view, and it should be a museum. It absolutely should be a museum. And whether GE pays for that or the lighting industry pays for that, it's, it's an American cultural heritage site. It should be preserved absolutely. Yeah. Um, First industrial park in the United States. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's more than lighting. It's deeper than lighting. It's grounded in lighting and centered in lighting. But it's, it's, it, it, it's part of the, how America became uh, a country and, a, and an industrial powerhouse. Um, and, you know, I, I certainly think it should be pre- 100% preserved. Greg, can we move on from Neela Park? Because both of us have a lot of sentimentality about that place. Do you have anything more you want to add before we get into some of the I- other stuff? Yeah, I do. What What is Neela Park today? I mean, I haven't heard anything about it. Is there still any institute or there's, museum still there, people? Cool. Uh, you know, there's a GE Current, you know, um, a Daintree company is still is still there. You know, obviously there's been a lot of, you know, ownership changes, but uh, the uh-huh. Consumer Lighting Products Group is still at Neela Park. So not as uh-huh. many employees, certainly, as when you were there, but, you know, there are uh-huh. still you know, a substantial number of folks there. Is there someone and guarding the legacy? Doing... Sorry, I jumped in there. Is there someone there that knows the legacy and the history of the building? You know? Today, I don't, I don't know. I said, David Corot, he just retired just a couple of weeks ago. So he would have been, you know, a really a key resource. So um, uh, I'd be, certainly if anyone has any questions, you know, I'd be happy to forward them on or try to get answers uh, as, as well. Are they still doing classes there or courses? Um, at, right now at this time, I I don't believe so. But I, I I'm not the I'm not the uh, I'm not the authority no. anymore about what what exactly is going on as far as classes. Sure. All right. So a lot of your career has been to present people with awards. You spent a lot of time managing, you know, the um, uh, the Edison Awards and then also the Tesla Awards for the NLB. Um, how does how do you go about building an awards program specific to an industry? What's important, and what do you think through when you start that? You know the the uh, GE Edison Awards again. It was, a, it was such a great project, and we had you know such great uh, great teams working uh, on that. But you know that was originally instituted by a gentleman named Frank Legaiza, who worked at the Lighting Institute. But you know his concept, well, you know at the time was really to uh, promote excellent use of lighting 
And again, think about the Edison horns. Now people are making lamps and people are making luminaires that, that, that incorporate these lamps. So encouraging use of GE products. So clearly some commercial uh, commercial benefit there, but also to just reward good quality lighting. And it was at a time when the lighting specifier was just getting started. The lighting designer was a profession. It, it really, I guess Howard Branson is still called the father of lighting design, but you know, so it really is also trying to promote the profession of the lighting designer. So that was really the intent you know, of, of the Edison Awards. So actually Frank is the one, he came up with criteria um, you, you clearly have to build, um, uh, build the reputation for an awards program. So, you know, you went from having maybe, you know, 10 or 12 lighting projects and holding an event in a conference room to really some of the very high end, uh, type of awards presentations. And maybe now you've got 40 projects, and judged by some of the leaders of the lighting design community and having them in a prestigious ballroom in New York City or Las Vegas. So, you know, that's a type of, of evolution that, that we saw with the, with the Edison Awards. So, uh, you know, the Tesla Award, the Edison Awards were discontinued. First again, the lighting business changed, you know. And uh, so when I became more active with the NL, with the National Lighting Bureau, and you know Randy Reed, who uh, is uh, just a, a great person to work with, I suggested, you know, do we want to do we want to sponsor uh, a, some sort of a lighting design program that really features high quality lighting? They're all high quality lighting, but let's try to, you know, really take the criteria and tune them more into the, uh, you know, the benefit, the initiatives uh, promoted by the National Lighting Bureau. So that's what we did. So we've gone, gone through two years of that. It's been great fun. COVID kind of put a, we had a little bigger plans, but COVID kind of put a stop to some of the uh, awards ceremony that we had hoped to, uh, hope to conduct, but we're looking forward to another great competition next year. And how, how many uh, participants do you usually have in these or is it vary per year? Well, we've only done the, yeah, well, I mean, the Edison Awards certainly, usually you, you'd you have at least in the 30 range, sometimes 40 sure. or 40, 45, but that's kind of the limit. Um, for uh, the, the Tesla Awards, you know, we've been able to get, you know, approximately 30 entries, but some of the top oh. firms. So, you know, we've been, you know, been very fortunate. So hopefully next year we'll have even more. So you picked the name Tesla? That was medicine. Randy. That was <laughs> okay. Randy. Randy. And I, I teased yep. him because he has the logo for the Tesla Awards. It kind of has lightning bolts coming out of it. I said, do we really need that in there? He goes, yeah, we do. Okay. <laughs> the Edison Randy's Report good... has the Tesla Awards. Yeah. It's a, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he, everyone knows that Edison was a businessman and not an inventor. Like if you really read into his biography, he was more of um a manager of a, of a, uh, of a group of scientists than he was the actual scientist himself. And so, you know, some of the patents went in his name, but Tesla, it's interesting. Those two characters are, um, you know, they're kind of like, uh, you know, Batman and, and, you know, the Joker or whatever in history, like real life adversaries that oh, hated yeah, each yeah. other's guts in real right, life. Right. And right. wanted to you destroy know, one another. An, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And, and, you know, it's also interesting because people ask, you know, was Thomas Edison ever at Neela Park? And I, I don't think he ever was. Mm. As a matter of fact, by the time General Electric became General Electric, um, he was he just really 
you know, he, he was so upset, he just kind of separated himself from the General Electric Corporation. So, and it's interesting, you mentioned he surrounded himself with talented people, which is really not a bad key to success, right? You just surround mm -hmm. yourself with the very best people. But, you know, when you think of ideas that shook the lighting industry, the whole idea of uh, think tanks, you know, groups of people that can help mm -hmm. invent and create and really push technology forward was really, you know, something that, that he brought to business. So, uh, yeah, an interesting history. There have been some great books written about him. There's a real parallel between Barnum, the circus guy, and a Thomas Edison. They're actually very similar characters. If you if you go read the biographies of P.T. Barnum or Thomas Edison, it's very similar. But I'll tell you a story. I think I saw the ghost of Thomas Edison in Hilla Park, so I think he's there. He's there. <laughs> he's haunting the place. He's cursing the place. I don't know what he's doing. But I, I think I saw his ghost in the bathroom. Um, tell me, tell me a little bit about what the NLB is trying to accomplish or what, you know, what is it, what is it trying to, where is it going and, and, and how is your role on the board, um, actively serving that? You know, I, it, it's been such, Randy has been such a, a great executive director. Um, you know, it's, it's so much fun working with a person who's always a, who's a glass half full type of guy, you know, and uh, I think he's, he's brought, you know, uh, some a new energy to the organization, but, you know, you think about promoting high value lighting, promoting high value business. Um, you know, you think of, of some of the key initiatives, well, things like the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the art and science of lighting product awards, you know, lighting products that really make a difference that really set a high bar for aesthetics or for performance, um, you know, looking at trusted warranty program, you know, trying to really provide confidence in people who specify and use led lighting products where, you know, claims of 400,000 hours life, I'm exaggerating, you know, can you substantiate that? You know, what type of warranty, uh, warranty claims does a business really stand behind? You know, so you think of initiatives that really provide, promote the success of good lighting, whether from a business standpoint, you know, from a, a, a aesthetic standpoint, from a lighting application standpoint. And, uh, you know, and even, you know, creating programs where uh, we can get NLB partners to help uh, donate products for, you know, key, you know, key projects. So, I, you know, I think trying to be, become a, a role model, providing case studies and all in all, just trying to really promote and tout um, the benefits of, of good lighting and good lighting business. In your consulting practice, is there, what, what arrows do you have in your quiver there? Like what, if somebody comes to you and says, Mary Beth, I, you know, um, looking, I have this problem and then you're like, well, you know, actually I can help you with that. What, wh where are your strengths in the consulting business right now? Yeah. Uh, calling my, calling my consulting a business is, is, is overstepping it a bit. You know, I retired <laughs> in 2016. Uh, my husband passed away in 2018. So now I'm trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. Okay. So um, I have been <laughs> dabbling in lighting consulting. Um, I love doing webinars. I love teaching. Um, I, I, COVID has kind of put a bit, I, I've allowed it to put a crimp in some of the things I'd like to do, but certainly lighting education is something I love. And I like talking to people at all different levels. Um, so I, I have done some webinars and workshops. Um, I'm currently on the staff of a brand new uh, organization called the Lighting Agora. I don't know if you're familiar with Tom Butters. 
We've had Tom on a couple weeks ago. Yeah, we have Tom. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great, great. So, uh, you know, I joined his team, which I'm, uh, you know, very excited about. I can't get rid of lighting. I mean, it's it's in the it's in the brains here. So, you know, and it's really good for me and uh, doing something that uh, I, I enjoy. So between the, the National Lighting Bureau and the Lighting Agora and doing some, you know, independent teaching. Uh, I've had some other folks, especially uh, I've had some uh, uh, an owner of a, a distributor in Toledo, uh, Lori Gross, Gross Electric. I've done some workshops with her. In fact, I owe her a call. So, you know, I'm willing to talk to some of her customers. She's great with the show and tell. <laughs> I can do the accredited part of the presentation. So we can we can kind of team up and uh, and hopefully generate some business for her. So, you know, that's that's kind of what I'm doing. So we'll see. Ask me in another year. <laughs> I will. What do you, speaking, speaking of in another year, <clears throat> what do you see as the future of lighting you've gone through a lot of transitions changes led was you know obviously the biggest one mm -hmm. where are we headed if you had to predict what, what, what what's good what's bad what's coming up oh you think what's the next new technology i mean are we gonna light with lasers Maybe. or um, <laughs> i think leds can have quite a long uh, long runway here you know it'll be interesting mm -hmm. to see i mean we've all gone through some growing pains with leds um some clever solutions uh, some hard to maintain solutions. I think you touched on it a little bit earlier in the podcast, but, I, it, and this is me, I don't know if there's, I, I think that the whole retrofit business for LED LEDs is something that will, can be perhaps addressed. Uh, you know, we talk about lum luminaires last 10 years, 20 years, you know, we've got these LED chips that have a certain predicted lifetime, I'll say, but but clearly there's other materials and components uh, um, that can wear out. Um, so uh, I don't know. I, th I think there's an opportunity for more retrofit opportunities for existing luminaires. We'll just say that. I think that more um, impact of the quality of light for circadian rhythms. I mean, we've talked a lot about it, but is how widely implemented is that? I mean, I've such great respect for the folks at um, uh, the LHRC led by uh, Mariana Figaro and, and Dr. Mark Gray. And um, so more light and health uh, considerations, uh, more emphasis on quality of light at night. Um, you know, we still, there's, there's still a lot of bad lighting out there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and trying to uh, really provide the right amount of light when you need it for the people who are in the spaces and for the application, um, I think has a long way to go. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, so um, Greg, Greg and I created the Starving for Darkness podcast, which is uh -huh. the, which is a, actually a monster of downloads and, and listens. And, you know, the lighting industry has fallen into Jevon's paradox, which is kind of like the cheaper something gets, the more you use. Instead of the cheaper something gets, you keep it where it was. And so we've kind of found ourselves in a, by, in a position where we've increased light pollution by a magnitude. Like it's, it's way worse today than it ever has been. And, and, and so I think the lighting industry has a fiduciary responsibility to pull its head out of the sand and just acknowledge it and start fixing it. And the reason why I advocate for this so much, Mary Beth, and I'd love to have your thoughts on it, is that everyone's going to get rich. Like, I don't understand why the lighting industry is, has turned away from this issue so many times and so many times turned away from it when really you're basically saying almost every light fixture outside has to be changed. 
to conform to the five principles of responsible outdoor lighting as set up by the IES. I mean, why does the industry keep turning away from this issue? Uh, well, uh, you're, you're saying they turned away from the issue or maybe they don't they want to address it. They don't want to admit it. You talk to a distributor or manufacturer, you talk to someone at the, at the, um, the DLC is now starting to come around to with the, with their Luna mm -hmm. program. But for years they were the purveyors of light pollution, period. Mm -hmm. Like I, 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 like I love Tina and I think they do a great job down at the DLC and we didn't know what really what we were doing at the time, mm -hmm. but they were really, you know, purveying light, light pollution like crazy as wide as you could get as uniform as possible, as white as possible and as much as possible. That was kind of the, the guiding of the lighting industry. And it turns out that, you know, that's very, very problematic. And so, the, the, and even now, you, we, we try to attract, you know, people to get into the universe of it. And lighting people don't want to talk about dark sky, darkness, darkness restoration, preservation. Um, they shy away from it. And uh, leading manufacturers don't want to discuss it. And I don't understand why, because to me, it's the single biggest business opportunity in front of us as an industry and if we don't do this we're going to get regulated the government's going to come in and tell us to do it which would be the worst thing ever because you know how that goes mm -hmm. so why is it that the i mean you've been in the lending for a long time why if you, if you have any thoughts why do we keep um pretending this issue is not real well i mean i again i don't know if i'm the authority on on, on why podcast. some of the actions yeah but you know i uh, I, part of it's got to be economics. I mean, you know, you think of, you know, global warming and why aren't we doing more with global warming? And you look at the whole, I mean, if you own a business and you've got this whole selection uh, of luminaires with all different types of light distribution, so all of a sudden retool and redesign everything. Might, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's an economic, imp an economic impact to that. You know, it's interesting about the global warming issue. Okay. So, um, people, you know why we don't do anything about global warming? Because nobody knows what to do. That's the reason why. They're, if they actually knew what to do, well, here's what you could do. You could make nuclear power plants everywhere. That would solve your problem because clean electricity is what you need. There's no, there's no carbon emissions from nuclear. Build dams wherever you can and get rid of coal and, and natural gas electricity generation. But nuclear power plants are very expensive and people don't want to build them. So they do stupid things like think, hey, you know, we could power the United States with solar panels or wind. No, the energy density is so huge. You need to put solar panels all over Texas and Arkansas and wind. You know what I mean? It would be crazy. The, the density of it is not correct. When it comes to the dark sky issue, we have all the technology, all the knowledge, everything we need to solve the problem. We know everything. We got the lighting controls. We got the tunability. We got the dimmability. We you know what the cutoffing, the shielding. We the industry has everything it needs except the um, commitment. The industry should commit to this issue and solve it for itself, and not have other outsiders come in and say, "You disgusting lighting people have wrecked the earth with your bad lights." And now we're going to regulate you guys and tell you what to do. That would be a disaster for us, Mary Beth. But, but you know, municipalities, let's say, install roadway lighting. or I mean, they have the opportunity to adopt the model lighting ordinance. So, I mean, it's kind of, a, I mean, it's a, in other words, the demand can drive the opportunity. I mean, the no, their lighting partners are not helping with enforcement. And the, the nail distributors, uh, we had a committee that came up with, uh, the six strategies to match the five principles. And they are, let's see if I can pull them out of my head here. Uh, alignment, industry alignment, advocacy, 
enforcement, training, certification, and incentives. And we don't have any of those things from the lighting industry perspective except what the IDA is doing, the International Dark Sky Association, but they're not in the lighting industry, and what Nailed is doing with the Starving for Darkness podcast. Everybody else is kind of ignoring the issue. And I don't know, my reason why I, like, I kind of pull whatever hair out I have left with this issue is it's such an enormous opportunity for us. It, it's, it's so good for business. It's unbelievable, actually. It's the, it's the greatest single thing the lighting industry could do right now is make every outdoor fixture in the world back in the mix. Like, why would you not do, do that? I, what, based on the other people you've asked, what are their answers to that? Well, first of all, most lighting people do not want to come on the show that have the authority to speak to this and could make the change. Do not want to come on the Starving for Darkness podcast or the Get a Grip of Lighting podcast and talk about it. <laughs> Okay, that's the, the kind of a the problem there. But what I'm trying to the reason why I'm trying to convince them, and you know, Jim Benny has helped me with this a lot and talking to me about it and so it kind of reassuring me. This is good for business. It's not bad for business. And so what that's where I don't understand the re, the reticence to embrace the issue. You know, to just say, hey guys, why are we why are we pretending this isn't real? And it's solvable, unlike climate change. This is a solvable environmental problem, and it is a real environmental problem. And light pollution is pollution. But here, I'm preaching to the choir. I, I'm not preaching to the choir, but I'm I'm kind of going on long about it. But I just don't understand why, as an industry, we're not just running forward towards this as fast as we can. And you know, obviously, you've been in the game so long. Maybe you you could tell me why. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, 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 I can't tell you why, <laughs> because well, because clearly anyone who's experienced, you know, a, a really high quality outdoor lighting night environment. I mean, there's no argument. Even if you, whether you're involved with dark skies or not, it's just so visually more comfortable. Mm. I mean, I guess we're creatures of demanding economic benefit to things. So um, maybe I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, there's not. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. It's uh, it, it's it's clearly something that could be easily easily achieved for sure. I love that. It's exactly what I agree with. It, it, it's so easily to be done, folks. Any thoughts, Mary Beth, for the the listeners, but before we we go and um, uh, we'll ask to talk to you next time. What do you got to say? You know, I I just wanted the lighting industry has been such a, a great industry to, to work in. And I think that the future of lighting is is just amazing. We can integrate lighting into more applications effectively than ever before. And, you know, the, the efficiency of LEDs don't make it energy prohibitive. It You know, we can, whether it's decorative lighting, whether it's lighting for circadian rhythm, whether it's lighting for safety and security. I mean, we have a chance to put lighting where we need it in the most aesthetically pleasing ways. And um, I, I think we've just hit tip, tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, people are still reverting back to old, older models of how we distribute and use light in spaces. Um, we're still very tied into downlights and troffer configurations. But, you know, I mean, as you start looking at some of the other lighting layers, I mean, again, the opportunity to, to really provide lighting for, uh, you know, for all of the benefits we've talked about uh, is, is, is going to be achievable and easily controllable, which is, makes it even more exciting. Amen. A true legend, Greg Eric, Mary Beth Gotti. Thank you for being That's a right. guest. But Greg, before we go, we got to get gangster with this thing. 
OG, the original gangster. Satco.com. Go to satco.com. Greg Eric, go there now. Is that why you? Is that why you're wearing that hat? It must be. Um, track lighting. They have track. They have track heads. They have track kits. Track parts. Halogen, incandescent, LED, every color, shape, size you need. So if you need track lighting, check out Satco. I love track lighting, man. And you know what? Most distributors don't understand. Track lighting super profitable, bro. Bro. You go out, you know, you can usually double cost that minimum, especially the, the little components. You can triple, quadruple that little eye connector sell for 15 bucks. It only costs you three or four dollars. You can sell it for a lot of money. People don't know. I mean, not to say that people don't know and you should sell it for more, but hey, you got to make a buck, right? That's what it's all about. And SACO supports distribution. They support electrical and lighting distribution 100%, and they got everything. And they got tons of track lighting, amazing track lights. Go to satco.com. They do the light thing, they do the right thing. And, of course, proud members, Greg, of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. And if you want to learn about track, the VP of, of, of uh, Marketing for Psycho, Brian Brandis, did a whole module in Ellis Evolve, Greg, on track lighting and why it's okay. important, how to sell it. And so if you're a nailed member, you can log on to LS Evolve and take that track lighting course right now, folks. So I'm telling you, if you're not, if you're a distributor and you're not selling track lighting, you, you, you're missing a huge category. So go to SACO.com, Greg, and the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. And I know that at the end here, you folks that make it to the end, we love you guys. You know that. All you folks out there. I know we speak on behalf of Greg Eric and Mary Beth Gotti and the board of directors of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors and everyone else saying thanks for listening. Bye for now.